Hey, good day, everybody. Again, it's such a privilege to be with you. Thank you for joining us here at Hatfield for this Sunday's message. And um, we are busy with a, a little series that we've entitled On the Home Front. And we we just, in a, over a four-week period, starting last week, we spoke about money. And, um, and we're just talking about things that affect us all in our sort of home space, close to home. Um, and uh, the reason we're talking about these things is because uh, we've just seen that lots of people are experiencing challenges in these areas. And um, so today it's my privilege to talk about family. And uh, I want to talk about family. Uh, and I recognize that uh, as I'm speaking to you, that there's such vast different experiences that people have with family. I, I recognize that I'm talking with people that are, you know, all across the spectrum in terms of their family experience. I'm, somebody may be listening today and you're not in a family. You you don't have a family. Um, you may have wanted a family, but you don't have a family. I'm speaking to people that perhaps aren't in a family now, but used to be in the family. I'm talking to people that are in a family, but it's not going so well. It's 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 struggling. I'm talking to people that have had really difficult experiences with family. I'm talking with people that are in a family and that they love it and it's going really well. And I'm I'm talking about I'm talking with people that have hope for a family. I'm talking to people that have lost family. And it, that makes it somehow a little bit difficult uh, because I, I don't want to be insensitive to where anybody is. And I certainly don't want to put um, expectations and pressures on people that are unrealistic and that are not based in truth. Um, so, you know, just give me grace today as we talk about family, because I, I'm sure you'll agree with me that family is important. No matter what our experience about family is, it's important that we every now and then reiterate refresh, remind, and reclaim our beliefs about family and confirm our beliefs about family. And that's what I, I want to do today. And so whether you, whatever your experience of family is right now, can we engage with this? And, and just from the point of view of saying family is important. And uh, if I'm not in a family and, and don't have necessarily have a family at this time, I, I at least know others that have family and I want to be supportive of them and pray for them. Uh, in, in certain things. And, and, and I want to hold up the value of family in our society at this time. So so let's gather around and, and chat a little bit about family. Um, and, and I thought what may be useful is to just take a little bit of a look at how the scripture talks about family. And, and to do that, I want to go right in the beginning, where it's sort of the first mention of family and, and where family is alluded to. And that to me, is in Genesis 2, verse 24, uh, where it says, That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. I find this a very interesting scripture because here God is talking to Adam and Eve, and in a very matter-of-fact way, like a like they know exactly what he's talking about, he starts putting some parameters in place about family. Now, I can almost imagine God saying to Adam and Eve, This is why a man leaves his father and mother, and, and perhaps one of them putting their hands up and going, excuse us, what is a father and what is a mother? Because we must remember they, they didn't have a concept of this other than who God was. God was the only parental figure that they had any awareness of. They didn't have their own mother and father. So it's interesting to me that God sort of in a matter of fact way just starts talking to them about family like it's, like it's, of course, there's going to be family. You know, he doesn't even give a, a great definition or teaching. He just talks about family as, it, as he experiences and views it. And that to me is important to note 
that I know we live in a world where we want to say, you know, and it's true that there are many different kinds of families, but I do think it's it's important to recognize that that God didn't come to this concept of family with no preconceived ideas. He obviously had some thoughts in mind. And uh, so when he starts instructing, teaching, talking to us about family, there's a pattern. There's a there's something in his mind, and I think it's worthwhile to understand what it is that God says when he talks about family, because family is messy. Family, man, like I said, you know, we all have such different experiences of family, as you, as you know. If I talk about my household family at this point in time, our core family, it's Natasha and myself, and we've got four sons um, that we live in our house. We've got uh, a friend living with us at this point in time. Um, we, we've got my mom that's still alive. Natasha's parents passed away earlier this year. Uh, so that's what our family looks like in a sense at this point in time, in terms of our home space. Um, yours may be very different. Yours may be a blended family. You may be on your own, whatever it is. And, and I know family's messy, man. There's, there's, there's no like cookie cutter, one size fits all. Everything marches to the same drumbeat kind of thing when it comes to family, um, but I do think it's really helpful to have some parameters, some boundaries, some some structure in place so that we can have family that at least has a chance to be a healthy family. Because I think we do have to recognize that there are unhealthy families. Not every family is a good family. Not every family situation is helpful and is positive towards the people that live in it. So that means there are things that we want to sort of aspire to and put in place and say, these are, are patterns that is worth knowing and aspiring to and working towards and copying, um, if I can say it in that way. Um, and that we get from God. He He had a pattern because he instituted family. According to us, in our faith, God instituted family. And like I said, yeah, he did it in a very matter-of-fact kind of way. Just, of course, this is the way it's going to be. And when we read Genesis 2.24, I want to highlight two things that we pick up in Genesis 2.24 that is sort of just in an offhanded way mentioned. But it's worth recognizing that this is in God's mind when he talks to Adam and Eve. He says, that's why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. So the two things that I think God mentions here in Genesis 2.24, that he takes for granted is gender and generations. First of all, God speaks here in the context of a man and a woman, and he uses gender pronouns. Men, women, fathers, mothers. There's a, in God's mind, it seems, there's no disconnecting family from gender and from two genders. God, in his wisdom, decided to create man to reflect him. We've spoken about it before. Man is made in the image of God. We are made to be like God in many ways, to reflect God, to represent God. But God didn't make man all the same. Mankind, he made a two-sexed species. Humanity is two-sexed. 
God made male and female. In Genesis 1.27 it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. So God in his wisdom decided that the best way for humanity to reflect who God is, is in the, in the coming together of, the, of a differentiated but complementary two-sexed humanity. That men alone can't reflect who God is. Women alone can't reflect who God is. But that together we form a whole picture of who God is to the level that he wanted us to reflect him. We don't completely reflect who God is, but we are made to reflect him. And so he assigned to a man and to a woman each a portion of who he is and how they reflect him. And when he, when he talks about family, he says family is the coming together of a man and a woman. That's the beginning of family. So if a family is going to reflect God, a family is this beautiful place where these complementary but differentiated beings, men and women, come together in a union that reflects who God is. It is this coming together of the different, in some ways almost the opposite, in a complementary union that shows the pattern of life that reflects God's character. And that's what a family is. It's a coming together. And here we see it right in the beginning of creation. You know, when it comes to marriage, we as Christians often say two halves don't make a whole. And that statement is true in one way, but also not true in another way. It's true when, it, when we say it, and I think we often mean what we say that is, I can't go to a marriage as a half a person thinking that somebody else's job it is to complete me. To be the best husband or wife that I can be in a marriage, I have to be my complete self and bring that into a marriage to complete, you know, for the, for the union to be completed by somebody else. So it's true in that sense. But it's not true in the sense that I can't be a complete family representation as one gender on my own only because God made it so that us as men bring something us and, 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 and women bring something and there's a union that comes together. Now, I'm not saying that as an individual, I can't be complete in terms of my representation. I'm made in the image of God. I'm talking in the context of a family. And so it's noticeable here that God brings two genders together in this union to fully represent him. He said it's not good for a man to be alone. Men on their own can't do it. And I know we now live in a broken world, and this was affected by the curse of the fall, and it's become really difficult, but it still is the way that God created. So I think we need to notice gender, and I think we need to notice generation. It's, it's almost like offhanded how God just says, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and they become one flesh. So can you see there's a pattern that God is building? He's saying a father and a mother will give rise to children, which in God's plan would 
become fathers and mothers again, join with somebody outside of their family, become fathers and mothers that will have children that one day will become a father or a mother. And so there's this perpetuating pattern that God puts in place right there at the beginning of creation. And he, again, he doesn't make a command about it here. He just says, this is the way it's going to be. And um, I think it's worth noticing that pattern, that there's a there's something in a family that's where a family is, is, is there's a legacy element to it. It comes from something and it is supposed to produce something that follows after it. My family arose out of, or our current family arose out of Natasha's family and my family coming together. And one day my sons will hopefully come together with somebody else and a family will arise out of them, if that's God's will for them. Now, it's true that some people aren't. It's not in God's plan for them to get married and they can completely live God's purposes for, you don't have to be married to live God's purpose for your life. But marriage has a purpose and those that are in it are to serve that purpose and that legacy element. And, and we've got to see here that this isn't something that God just did as a once off. He, he took for granted that this is the way humans are going to build a society. Is, and, and throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament in God's dealing with people, we see how he deals with families, extended families, tribes, nations. Family units, God works with individuals, but so often in the context of families. And it's just sort of how God thought it was going to be, and that's in his mind. Now, why is family so important to God? Well, I think, first of all, it's, it's true to say that God is a family. In Genesis 1.26, God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, God in himself is the Trinity. He's a family. He's a community. And so when God creates Adam and Eve, he's reproducing who he is in them and wanting to them for them to experience the same relational uh, joys as he's experiencing. Secondly, I think we see in the New Testament in Ephesians 5 verse 31, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each of you, of you all, also must love his wife and he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. He's saying that, just to affirm this point, that family matters to God because God is a family. And the way he relates even to us is as family. And what Paul is saying here is the, the relationship between a husband and a wife that is the beginning of a family, that is the foundation of a family, is the mystery revealed of how Christ relates to the church. Remember, in the Old Testament, it was a mystery. It's now revealed in the New Testament because of Christ that has come, and we now understand that we are the bride of Christ, but we see that expressed, fleshed out in a family union. So family matters to God. But I do want to say, we have to remember that family, while it matters to God, and while family is very important, it is not the most important thing. In our society now, perhaps particularly in the Western world, we have often elevated family as to the most important thing. It's almost like, you know, one of the things that we say, it's, 
as long as you, you know, get it right in your family, um, ultimately that all that remains is family. And family becomes the basis and the expression of everything for us. And it's good. And we almost put family in the place of it's the highest good that we serve is family. But I want to tell you and just remind you that when Jesus came to earth, he stepped into a Jewish community that was in a space where they actually exalted family as to the most important thing. And he brought some correction to that. In three occasions, Jesus said things about family to show us that family, while very important, is not the most important. In Luke 14, 26, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own flesh, such a person cannot be my disciple. What Jesus is saying here is he's actually putting discipleship, followership of Christ as more important than family. In the Jewish mindset, family meant religion. Your, it was part of your family was your religion. Here Jesus is saying, no, those two aren't necessarily together always. And if you end up in a, in a tussle between the two, then following Jesus can come at the cost of your family. So family is not the highest good. Matthew 8 verse 21 and 22. Another disciple said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. You see, in Jewish society at the time, the, the duty to family became in many ways like even more important than their religious expression because it became their religious expression. And so if a person was in a situation where did they do a religious duty, like go to the synagogue or did they have to go bury their father? They would choose burying their father. Jesus here says, no, no, your faith, your walk with me is more important. Your following me is more important than your duty to your family. So that's interesting. Mark 13, verse 12 to 13. Brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Jesus is saying, listen, don't think that family is always going to agree. That he's actually saying families will turn against each other. And that may be the price to be paid for follower, followership of Jesus. So this is clear to us that family, while important, is not the most important. What is the most important? The most important is us and our relationship with Jesus, being disciples of Christ, whole life disciples, that see the kingdom come. So seeking the kingdom is most important as followers of Christ. Now, that doesn't mean family is not important. I'm not saying family is not important. No, it's very important, but it's not the most important. In fact, Jesus said some things about family to say how important it is. In Matthew 15, verse 4 to 9, For God said, Honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father and mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that that what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God, they are not to honor their father or mother with it. Thus, you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teaching are merely human rules. So what Jesus was saying here is your family matters and how you behave in your family matters if you do not 
love your family appropriately. You're a hypocrite. So what Jesus is saying, family is important. It's not the most important. We cannot idolize family. We cannot worship family. We cannot make family a whole life about family. Then we end up in trouble. If we make everything about family, we put family in a very difficult position, which they cannot handle because no person or human experience has ever been given the power and the strength to be worshipped. And so if we worship family, we will corrupt it. We will end up feeling like unless my family is perfect, my life is useless. I don't have a good life, which cannot be true. We will put expectations on each other within our family. We'll try and think that, that you know, we have to be a perfect family. Or we will try and, and, and put our family above everybody else. And we'll disregard other people and, and abuse other people because our family must just be preserved and our family becomes important. And then it's like the mafia in a sense. No, no. Our families is there to serve the kingdom of God. In fact, in perhaps it, it's true that our family becomes our first front line. It's the first place perhaps where we learn and serve the kingdom of God. What it means to be a follower of Christ within our family. But my family gets aligned with followership of Christ. I don't fit Christ into my family. I fit my family into Christ. And sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes my family doesn't want anything to do with Christ. I mean, I grew up in a home where my, my dad didn't want, didn't want to go to church. He didn't want to have a relationship with God. He, he was not inclined towards that at all. And that didn't mean we didn't have to still love him and serve him in a kingdom way and bring the kingdom into our house and see the kingdom represented to the level that we could in our house and honor him with kingdom values and principles. We had to do that in our house and so that our family becomes an expression of the kingdom of God. So I want you to imagine like a, a stool. Pastor Latola last week used a table. So let me build on that theme a little bit of it's like a piece of furniture you'll find at home is, is, is a stool. And I want you to imagine a three-legged like, table or stool and, um, and, and see this, that this, the flat top part of it, the little table or the section that you sit on, the seat of this stool, that's the purpose. Uh, uh, the purpose of a three-legged table or a stool is not the legs, it's the top. It's the, it's the thing you sit on or you put things on. That's the purpose. And, and our purpose is to serve God, to build his kingdom, to see his kingdom come. And we want to do that in our families. So how do we do that in our families? And I want, to, I want to talk about three things that I think is important in our families, very practically to do, so that we can see God's kingdom come in our families. And the first thing I want to say, the first leg of our three-legged stool or table is to live the kingdom. Now, as Christians, we want to build our families. We have to build our family around something. And that's something we build our family around. It's not our needs. It's not our need for family that we can't build our family around. I can't build my family around my need to be a father or a husband. I have to build my family around the need to glorify God, to honor God, to see his kingdom come. And that means I come to my family with a belief system. And I have to build my family around a coherent belief system. And then I have to be consistent with that belief system. So that's what I mean when I say we live the kingdom. 
Our job is to raise our children, as Proverbs says, to build a family that reflects the kingdom of God. So I've got a belief system, and I'm shaping my family around that belief system. I have to be clear about that belief system. Now, let's be honest. As a, in a family, you learn so much over time. First, you know, when a, far, when a man and a woman comes together, and what, they have to learn how to love each other as a husband and wife. And I mean, let's be honest. You learn that every year, every day of your life. As somebody once said, you know, they, they've been married for, for many, many years. And they're not the same person as they were. Uh, when they got married. We all change. We all grow and develop and learn as husbands and wives. And so that's a process. Then we learn what it means to be parents. And we have to get to know each of our children so that we can raise them the way they need to be raised with the individual attention and love and affirmation and correction that they need and how it works for them. So it's this constant developing, but I'm not just developing, I'm developing towards something, and that something is the kingdom of God. I want to be the husband that the kingdom requires of me to be. I want to be the father the kingdom requires of me to be. I'm raising my children in the wisdom of the kingdom, and so I believe in the kingdom. I spend time in the kingdom, And, and that means just practically, isn't it, that that we do kingdom things together as a family, that we go to church regularly. We're part of a community of faith. We raise our children within the context of other believers that get to know them and love them. I mean, it's been one of our greatest privileges in the communities. I've, I've grew up in Hatfield. I know people in Hatfield, some for 40 years, some for 45 years that I still have regular interaction with. My children grew up in the church and now that they are adults, have friends with my adult friends and our adult friends that all have a very positive impact in their lives. Like the old saying goes, it takes a village to raise a child. The church is a great village to raise children towards the kingdom of God. But that means regular interaction, regular exposure to the kingdom of God through going to church, through being part of a community group, through being volunteering. Our children have volunteered in the life of the church from the earliest age, both inside and outside of the church. We've we've raised our children that church matters. And now they're older, they have to make their own decisions, but it's wonderful to see them still volunteering, still being involved, still serving the Lord, loving the community of people. Um, And, you know, we we just, that's, that's to them. That's nothing because, you know, of us. But they have a kingdom experience, not some airy-fairy thing that they can't put their arms around. They have an experience with community that they can put their arms around. We live the kingdom. And can I tell you, there's nothing as disorienting to a, a child as when they see their parents proclaim one thing and live something different. We have to have a coherent system of faith that we grow and develop and learn over time as a family. We have our family prayer times, our family scripture reading times, our family discussion times, where, we, where we're interacting with the kingdom. 
And as parents, we, when we fail in our kingdom representation, we, they're the first ones we go to and we say, we're so sorry, we repent. Forgive us for failing in that. We didn't live up to the kingdom standard because we're not perfect, but we hold up that standard. We live the kingdom. How do you live the kingdom in your family? Whether you've got children or not, whether it's you on your own, you with, with people close to you, how do you live the kingdom? Have a coherent belief system and be consistent with that belief system. Then the second thing is to teach the kingdom. It is our responsibility in our homes to teach the kingdom, not just to live it and hope that our children get it. Yes, I agree. Our example is primary. That's what I mean. It disorientates our children if we teach them something and we don't live it. But because we're scared we're going to fail doesn't mean we don't teach. We teach. We make use of every opportunity to teach the kingdom to our children. We teach the kingdom in how we relate to one another, how we love each other, how we spend time with one another, how we talk to each other, how we prefer one another, how we relate to other people outside of our family, how we relate to people that are struggling, people that are in difficulty, how we relate to non-believers, how we relate to believers. We, we teach the kingdom. In our household, um, we, 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 we're very careful not to let opportunities go by. And we engage with our children. So like in our family, we love Star Wars. And Star Wars, if you know Star Wars, is not a, doesn't present a biblical view of life. It actually has a very warped Eastern philosophy for, underneath it. But we've used Star Wars with our children to teach them how that is not the kingdom principles. And so they, they will tell you very quickly that, you know, may the force be with you is not a kingdom principle. And, and, and it's amazing how you can even use something like Star Wars to teach them how those people cannot have live coherently and consistently with that belief system that they proclaim. It's not possible. And you see it in the stories. And that strengthens the kingdom principle. So we teach the kingdom. When we, when we you know, see them with their friends, and, and they're not behaving right. We, we teach them. We use that opportunity. There's discipline. There's correction that has to be done. I know the world's philosophy of parenting is just to let them go and, and find their own way. That's not the biblical philosophy. The Bible says in Proverbs 22 verse 6, train up a child in the way he should go. It is our job to train, to teach, to instruct, to correct but the third, and that's our second leg. So the first leg of our stool is live the kingdom, teach the kingdom. Then the third leg is all in love. Our homes are not military camps. Our families are not instruction centers and schools. They're families. And we teach in love with grace. We delight in our children. We love our children. They must be so secure in the knowledge that we love them. And that whether they get it right or wrong, whether they live family Right or wrong, kingdom right or wrong, it is not going to change that we love them. They secure in that love. We are warm towards them. And I want to talk to the men in particular. Men, I think, you know, we so often feel seem to be struggling to be warm and loving towards our children. You cannot correct them if you've not invested huge amounts of love, warmth, security, stability into their lives. If we, we just correct, but we don't affirm with our love and our warmth, we create rebellion. We create children that 
I've become rebellious. I mean, it's, it's, my, it's, my, it's my way I irritate my sons. I tell them every day, at least once a day, as I see them, I love them. I touch them all the time. I, I know we can inappropriately touch children, and that's something to, to have right. There's a kingdom principle about appropriate affection. But can I tell you, never touching your child is inappropriate also. Never showing them love. Never hugging them, just holding them. From time to time, if I see a son and I'll just jump on them, and even though they're older than me, I quickly give them a wrestle and then run away because they're going to hurt me. We, we're affectionate towards them, and we tell them, and we, we, we're positive towards them. Even when we correct them, we do it in a way that doesn't break them down and speak bad things over them. We, we don't talk about them as a problem. We talk about the problems that, that they are. We're not shy of talking about those problems. And, but we love them. I want to tell you, love your child. Delight in them. Delight them. Like the Bible says, God says he, we are the apple of his eye. I mean, he delights in us. He smiles over us. He has joy over us. Find ways every day to express your delight to your children. And you know, children are different. They have different love languages. They have different ways that it has more meaning to some of them and others. And you can't do it all equally for everybody all the time. Sometimes I spent more time with one son than the other in a season. Or sometimes, you know, Natasha will do something with one boy and, and not with the others. And some, you know, like one of my sons loved um, a, a certain TV program. And, and when they were doing a show in South Africa, I could afford to take him. I couldn't afford to take everybody. And him and I went and had a fantastic time. And it meant much to him. The other sons weren't jealous because they knew that meant a lot to him. But I do other things with them or Natasha does other things with them. We, we create the space to love them so that it becomes easy for them to understand that God loves them and for them to love God and that they want to live the kingdom and be taught the kingdom because it makes sense to them because they experience the goodness of it. We're never going to get it perfect. We're never going to get it all right all the time. But it's necessary that we aspire to it because our families are important. Your family is important. And again, I, I recognize, like I said earlier, that you may not have a family experience that's particularly healthy and good. I grew up in the home of an alcoholic father. By the time I was 17, my mother raised us on her own. My father passed away. It certainly wasn't easy. I'm glad that I'm, I learned so much from my mom, even from my dad. I learned so much from the Lord and from my community of faith that has helped me to build our house a little bit better. But we've got a long way to go. We're still learning. We're still growing, developing. You may be on your own. You don't have children anymore or you've never had children. But you can play a positive role in somebody else's family. You can be a positive influence. We've got friends that don't have their own children. And every time they interact with our children, it's such a positive thing to our children. It takes a village. A family is a, a basic building block of a society. But the same values that are lived in a family can be lived in a church community, can be lived in a community at large. And let's do that. Let's hold up family. It's important. But it's not the most important thing. Most important is to love Jesus, 
and to be his disciple, to follow him and to build his kingdom, to tell others about him, to live out his kingdom principles in our family and on our other front lines. I want to pray for you today, for your family. I pray that the Lord will help you. Remember the image of this little three-legged table with the purpose that's on top is to love God, to be a follower of Christ and to build his kingdom. And then the three legs that support that is in your home, in your family, live the kingdom. Have a coherent belief system. Learn about the kingdom's principles through regular interaction with God's word, with the community of faith, with prayer. Then teach the kingdom to one another. Be learners always. Sometimes my children teach me. Let's learn about the kingdom and then the third leg is do it all in love. As 1 Corinthians 16, 14 says, do everything in love. Do it with affection, with care, with grace, with mercy. Not This is not a factory or a military army camp. We don't do it with strict disciplinarianism and order and, and structure. We do it with family, life that gets messy sometimes, but it's beautiful. Let's pray together. Father, I want to thank you for every family every expression of family, every experience of family that is present here between us today. And I want to pray, Lord, for your grace. Lord, where, where families for some people are a place of pain right now, I pray for healing. I pray for restoration. I pray for opportunity. I pray for, for, the, for the possibility of healing and restoration in families where it's needed in Jesus' name. I pray for a second chance, Lord. I pray for that which seems to have completely fallen apart. We put it in your hands and we trust you for a miracle of, of healing. Lord, I pray for people who, where that's not happening. But I pray that in their own hearts there will be healing. That you are a father to the fatherless. That you are our parent. That you, we are in a family with you. So I pray that for each of us, there will be a sense of family and an experience of family. For those that desperately would want to have a family, but for whatever reason can't. I pray, Lord, that they would experience you as their father and that there would be a health and a healing for them. And so that in whatever way they can express and honor and serve family, within your kingdom and live your kingdom purposes, Lord. I pray that they'll experience your grace and your ability within that in Jesus' name. And then I pray for families, Lord, that are finding their way. I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. Bless our families. Strengthen our families. Strengthen the relationships between husbands and wives. Strengthen the relationships between parents and children. Strengthen the relationships between siblings, Lord. Extended families. We pray for your blessing on it, Lord. I pray that none of us will give up on our family, but that we'll keep serving your kingdom and your kingdom principles in our family so that our families will be beautiful, tangible expressions of your kingdom on earth. The mystery revealed of the love of God, the love of Christ for his bride will be expressed in our families. And we thank you for that. May the Lord bring healing to you hope to you, life to you, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining me. Have a wonderful day.